for me, a, a pitch deck has to sort of answer three things, I guess. So um, is your business viable, feasible, and desirable? So what I mean by, by uh, feasible, um, do you have the resources, the money, the expertise to build what you're trying to build? Um, is this viable? Um, to, are you building a technology that currently exists or can be actually used in present times? Or you're trying to have like a 10-year moonshot idea? And then finally, desirable, is anyone buying this or does anyone want what you're trying to sell? And then in terms of how you structure this in your presentation, um, I think you need to be a bit more creative than just the usual structure that everyone expects to see. And you should play that in your advantage. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the World of Presentations podcast brought to you by Asset Presentation Agency 356 Labs. Yes, there was a summer break for us from the podcast, but we will be back and we'll be back and we are already back with at least one episode per month. All right, at least one. I'm Boris, your host for today's episode. And with me, uh, I have someone that I thought I have met in Romania before, but I just found out that we actually didn't meet in person yet. Uh, it was only an online conversation, but for some reason we believe that we, or at least I believe that uh, we met <laughs> before, which is interesting. And what really uh, caught my attention back then when uh, we talked, I was about to say we met uh, with our guest was her crazy attention to detail. Uh, when we met with Diana, uh, she actually sent me a investor deck because back then she was working and running such an organization that was doing a lot of work with startups and corporations. And that investor deck was done very, very, very well. Yeah, it's very rare to see someone doing a deck from the ground up without being a presentation expert or anything like that with such attention to detail. And that truly impressed me. So who is obviously with me? Uh, Diana uh, is someone that's been involved a lot with the sales and in, in the investor world, in the startup world with sales, marketing, and so many things. She will let you know, all right? She will let you know, very long intro. Uh, but we thought that it would be super great if we bring her here so that she can share her point of view on startup pitching, business proposals, and everything else. Uh, Diana, welcome uh, to this podcast. I'm very sad that we didn't meet. Hi, Boris. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words. I do remember actually our conversation about that invested deck very well. Um, and I've also realized that was a very long presentation. So maybe something yes. not, not to do. Uh, I mean, we'll discuss that today. Um, but yeah, really great to be here. Um, the summer is over. So everyone is back to work. And I'm really glad that yeah. I'm one of your first guests to kick off the new season. So really excited. Absolutely. Uh, this is episode 112 from the podcast uh, series. But before we jump into your point of view in regards to Dex and in regards to how do you craft uh, such a effective business proposal or investor deck, give us a little bit of intro about who you are and how you get how you got involved with everything that you got involved with because you were doing back then you were doing so many things now you are very focused from what you just told me tell us yeah. a little bit more about your world sure um so 
I guess um, over the years, I, um, I kind of specialize in building and delivering different marketing and strategy programs uh, from startups. So I've worked with early stage founders from an idea stage all the way to IPO. Um, but I work primarily with some of the world's largest accelerators, tech conferences, as well as innovation consulting, uh, consultancies in general. Um, UK was always my base. Um, and then from there, I spent a bit of time in the US and Middle East. Um, but then the pandemic um, came in 2020. And that's when I kind of felt, the timing felt right, that I just wanted to sort of experience what's happening in Central Eastern Europe. So I've worked a lot with startups uh, for the past 18 months in the region. Um, I feel like I acted like a sponge this entire time, just absorbing a lot of information. Um, and I got to speak to hundreds of founders um, and work with, with loads of them as well. And kind of to discuss challenges, um, maybe finding also opportunities when it comes to fundraising, and I got more and more involved in the world of investment, um, but always kind of keeping an eye on what's happening on marketing because that's my background. So over the past uh, nine months, um, I've actually been uh, building uh, something that will be announced very shortly. I think probably might be live by the time this episode goes live, hopefully as well, um, which is what I call Media for Growth. Um, so it's, it's a global network of Media for Growth funds. Um, and media industry leaders. Um, our focus is to primarily align the interests of startups, investors, and experienced media professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's the product of spending super long evenings with um, over 30 media for growth funds, but most importantly, trying to understand maybe some of the changes that need to happen in, in the venture capital industry. And I think we are at such an um, interesting conflicting point right now in the market. Um, I mean, the tech market, it's a bit shaky. Um, everyone is thinking about growth, but not growth at all costs. Um, I think yep. startups are becoming a bit more cautious about spending. Um, and I think it's really important to try to diversify a bit the venture capital industry. And for founders to know, there is another opportunity to raise money and to go grow your brand uh, without having to necessarily cut back on cost. So that's what yep. we're trying to achieve with Media for Growth. and. That's what I'm going to be focusing on um, next. Sounds really, really interesting. Wishing you good luck. We'll be supporting from afar or yeah. any way you want. Uh, just let us know. However, let's go back to your previous, uh, the like the previous at least one. Back then when we talked, I feel like it was like three years ago or something. And as you just mentioned, yeah. you were in touch and you were currently are still very much involved in the startup world, talking with a lot of founders, etc. What is, in your opinion, the importance of whenever you talk about startups, what is based on your experience in the last few years, the importance of the presentations that those people are creating, the, the importance of all of the, yeah, the pitch decks, the investor decks, how important are they really uh, for those starting companies? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, I guess a presentation, if you like, it's almost like your business card. Um, of course it, it, it's different from every, and every context is different and you have to tailor it to your, your audience. But, um, if you think about it, what happened over the last 24 months during COVID that really sort of, uh, 
pushed us in rethinking the way we want to approach business um, and having to change the way we present ourselves to meet the new market conditions. Um, so I've easily gone through hundreds of pitch decks, um, again, simply by being involved in different organizations. Um, I think if I was to compare probably two different perspectives, like the West and what we have more in Central Eastern Europe, I feel that in primarily in the UK or in the US, um, there is a huge focus on kind of articulating the commercial side of the business, uh, being extremely kind of number savvy and mm. being really good at emphasizing the value proposition. Where more here in Central Eastern Europe, prim primarily because we have such great tech talent, there's always more kind of the conversation goes into a direction of um, technology and extremely detailed product information. Um, and it's always kind of lacking that sort of business acumen, commercial, commercial side, if I were to compare on a high level note, of course, we can't generalize. Um, but the pitch deck, we talked actually about this just before we started, I feel that, um, I mean, this is kind of our fault, investors, startup operators, accelerators, yeah. we standardize uh, the heck out of this, um, every investor would, would expect you to have a problem, solution, business model, here's how we're going to make money, team, and the, you know, infamous action. Right. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> action. Um, and I think that's fine, but up to a point, the thing is that no matter how much you try to standardize these pitch decks, um, I think you have to sort of try to tailor it to the stage uh, which you're at as a startup founder. What I mean by that, um, for me, a pitch deck has to sort of answer three things, I guess. So um, is your business viable, feasible, and desirable? So what I mean by, by uh, feasible, um, do you have the resources, the money, the expertise to build what you're trying to build? Um, is this viable? Um, to, are you building a technology that currently exists or can be actually used in present times? Or you're trying to have like a 10-year moonshot idea? And then finally, desirable, is anyone buying this or does anyone want what you're trying to sell? And then in terms of how you structure this in your presentation, um, I think you need to be a bit more creative than just the usual structure that everyone expects to see. And you should play that in your advantage. So a practical example, I think if you're at an early stage company uh, mm. with not so much to show when it comes to traction or numbers, um, but you have really great people, perhaps X, Google, Microsoft, Apple in your team. I mean, that would be the first slide that I would start with, as opposed to just going straight into a problem and then solution and then a product, yeah. which is probably a prototype. Yeah. So that, that would be my kind of two cents. Yeah. I feel, I feel like this is really true. Like, especially for startups, I think that this standard standardization and even the flow which comes first, which comes second, it just went a little bit too much. And every single presentation is the same. I would say that, yeah, I would say that back then, like we had a case with a startup uh, from the, in the blockchain space um, that's, that was using blockchain for the aviation industry. Um, it's actually a case study on our website. It's called 500 Labs. Uh, so we actually broke that uh, 
way of thinking. We still present it more or less the same, but we kind of approach it from like a different angle, if you wish. And I yeah. think that this was one of the reasons there was, there were also some other reasons, of course, but this was one of the reasons why uh, this company actually ended up uh, getting the investment from a company like Lufthansa. So I'm all, I'm all in hopefully more founders will hear that, hey, there is a this predefined structure that your potential investor kind of likes, yeah. you know, or expects, but it's not the only right one. It's not the only thing you can. And I liked what you said about, hey, let's get a little bit more creative here and use it to your own advantage, because I think there is a lot of space, a lot of space to do that in yeah. that world. For sure. And I like what you said, your example with, uh, with, for example, a corporate, potentially corporate partner, or I mean, the, the rise of CBCs in Europe, it's pretty incredible over the last decade. And that's a completely different type of investor. Um, I think approaching an early stage VC versus um, a corporate venture capital funds that primarily invest in strategic ideas that would complement their technology, it's a completely different approach. Um, yeah. I would actually think of that presentation more as a, of a strategic proposal as opposed to a traditional pitch deck. So I think you have to have in mind who is it that is going to read your presentation and also the kind of content that you're creating and how it's going to be presented. Is it meant to be read or are you going to present it live? Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that changes the things dramatically because in one, in in when you're going to be sending it over email, it could be way more detailed. It needs to be self-sufficient, as we like to say, right? Because you as the founder or as the founders won't be there to present it for sure. But what I'm hearing you saying is that yet again, over and over again, in one way or the other, we always end up talking about the importance of understanding who your audience is. Exactly. But truly, truly understanding. And I believe that a lot of startups are and not only startups, to be very honest, uh, and also a lot of people in uh, the corporate world don't really spend the needed time to truly understand who their audience is, what their needs are, and everything else that they need to take into consideration when they're building a presentation. And that's such a missed opportunity. I don't know what's your feeling about it, but it's such a missed opportunity. If you just spend one hour trying to brainstorm who those people are, when people normally are making their presentations the hour before the meeting, which yeah. is already late. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could have done so much more, uh, so much more. Anyway, uh, we decided to switch gears because do not and not talk about startup pitches that much because there is just so much content around it. But that part with the standardization, I think is really on point. I'm not sure if it's only for startup pitches, you are making me think hard right now is, did we standardize any other presentation? I would say, by the way, I would say that the other type of standardization that is done in a way in the corporate world though, is monthly or quarterly reporting. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. But I guess just, uh, um, it's I a little bit different. It's different. I can understand yeah. the need for that especially when you're dealing with, I don't know, 5,000 people, 10,000 people, yeah. more than that in your organization. Um, in fact, um, what I've seen, and I, I've done this actually in a previous company, um, you have to sort of think of, I think what I would change is not necessarily the structure of the report, but it's how you would communicate those internal updates. 
And I've seen a lot of organizations uh, trying to use internal podcasting, speaking of podcasts. Wow, interesting. Yeah, especially between different offices, just to just to send across updates and make them more digestible and, and fun for people to listen to. Um, I mean, I've seen so many people and I've heard so many people that completely missed out on either different region updates just because it's the span of attention is so short. And as you said, they are standardized. Um, yep. So yeah, podcasts, actually internal podcasts, it's a trend that I've seen lately as well. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, it, it, it kind of brings me to a recent thing that I was also exploring of and seeing how some platforms are moving and the direction that they're moving with asynchronous communication, especially in this hybrid world. It, and all of them kind of bringing this video type of thing into the presentation world so that you can create a presentation that's a video, upload it, and then everyone can see it on their own time, on their device, whatever, but yeah. they don't have to be in that meeting anymore, right? Because of time zones, restrictions, or whatever it might be. But podcasting, internal podcasting, audio only, right? No visuals. Audio only, audio only. yeah. That's, yeah just that is cool. Just go with the basics, just keep it simple. I mean, it, it had a clear purpose in mind and tackling a clear problem. How am I going to get so many people to actually follow like really important company updates? And they are not missed. And that was through podcasts and everything was internal. Obviously, they were not published on external yeah, um, podcast channels. Um, and it worked. I mean, people were listening in and clearly they were reacting, which, yeah. yeah. By the way, if you, are, if you are someone that I'm thinking about this, if you are someone that's on a management position and you are listening to this one, maybe, maybe, but just maybe, that will be that idea that will get you to another level of promotion. But just maybe, and that's what I'm thinking okay, about right now. Trouble. When you're I don't know which one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, because I had a conversation like three or four months ago with someone at a very high level position at a company um, called Bosch. And he was complaining about this type of reporting of data and progress on things. And we just spent like 30 minutes after a training that I delivered uh, for his team. Only with him just brainstorming out loud and just thinking out loud why and how they can change it. And at the end, we were like, hey, at some point, someone needs to do something about it. You know, why wouldn't that be you? You know, yeah. someone has to say it out loud. This doesn't work. Let's find another solution. So anyway, uh, business proposals. Diana, let's focus to business proposals. Let's talk a little bit more about how do we uh, how do we propose to a customer let's say our product how do we sell more or less a product or a service to a customer because we still need mm -hmm. to present it but it's not a pitch deck anymore it's not an investor deck anymore it's a completely different thing what are your thoughts there because i don't feel like in the same way as you i don't feel like there is that much written on that part so what are your thoughts on effective if you wish uh, business proposals uh sure i mean i think um over the past few years, I had to, I, I've written so many different business proposals uh, for different organizations, from government agencies to large corporations. So I, I sort of had to force myself to kind of come up with some kind of framework or always sort of trying to iterate and find a better way to send that message across. Um, the problem, I mean, just starting with a problem, uh, obviously, following a structured approach, um, same as with pitch decks that it has to solve a problem. Um, I also have the tendency to overwrite. And I think that's a general problem that I see 
in most proposals, everyone is trying to kind of overjustify. And we have the preconception that the more information we add, the better people can skim through it. They can choose whatever is relevant for them. Let's just include as much as possible. And um, it's overwhelming. I mean, the span of attention is so short. And I think that was the that was the problem that I had and I realized for myself. So I had to, I had to force myself to find a structure when it comes to these business proposals, um, which reminds me of what actually Winston Churchill said once, uh, which is that if I actually had time uh, to write you a letter, um, I would have I would have actually drafted a, if I had time, I would have drafted you a, a short one, uh, not a long one. And that's because to make things more concise, um, it's harder. So there's, I guess, three things that I usually do personally to help me sort of kind of channel my train of thoughts and, and put yeah. things together. Um, the first one is something that we already touched on, but I feel like it can't be stressed enough, uh, which is thinking about um, who is actually going to read or who's going to be the person receiving your proposal. Um, and I would go as detailed as possible when it comes to that person. So try to even have a real person in mind. Um, try to give it a name, try to think of their habits, try to understand where they hang out, what kind of content yeah. they like. And yeah. then when it comes to especially enterprise sales or you're leading with large organizations, um, I think to understand their role in the decision-making process, it's so crucial. Um, so what I mean by this is... Um, I don't know, is Joe, for example, uh, an influencer in the decision-making process? Is he a user of your solution that you're trying to sell? Or is he the decision-maker? Because these three people or these three functions or roles uh, would play a completely different uh, role in the decision-making. And I think that is super important when you try to um, structure your information. The second yeah. thing I would think about is how... Um, um, what do you want to achieve with this business proposal? Sometimes, of course, it's about a sell, but sometimes it can be that you want your user to take certain action. It could be that you just simply want that proposal to be advanced further to the senior management. Yeah. Um, but any presentation- Before that you mean, not to continue a discussion, but to be even, the end goal of it is to be so compelling that the person that receives it says to himself or herself, wait a minute, I need to forward this. Yeah, basically, you need to create almost like internal kind of cheerleaders for yourself. If yeah, you yeah, like yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. Yeah. Um, but I think any presentation has to be well. There's three things: it has it has to be short, it has to be relevant, and it has to be actionable. So short, for example, um, I don't think there is a kind of universally acknowledged presentation yeah, or number. yeah uh, exactly <laughs> page number or length but no one wants to read 100 pages especially when it's not about them um and i tend to use kind of the pyramid principle uh when i when i write proposals but also when i create websites or landing pages so what that means i usually say the most important things at the beginning um that could be for example why this is super important for that person to read it, why now? Uh, and then put all the things that are supportive at the bottom. Meaning, yeah. here's everything that I've done that would add credibility. Here are references. Um, here are, for example, case studies and so on. But I would include that. I usually include any section about us as a company at the very end. Mm. A lot of proposals usually start 
here's our company, here's what we do. Yeah. I don't care about that. How do you actually? Correct. <laughs> um, and it's usually the case. And I've done I've done that mistake so many different times. Um, and it's usually like somewhere at the end of the proposal that here's our offer or here's what we can do together. Yeah. Um, but if I were to speak about a general length it would probably be try to stay within maybe 10, 15 pages when it comes to a business corporate proposal. Um, it has to be relevant. Um, again, I think trying to articulate um, timely seasons or why, like seasonal factors, why is this important now? It's super relevant if you can. And actionable, obviously make, make the ask super clear. Um, but also try not to put kind of a burden on the customer by making them guess what should be the next step? Uh, should we have a conversation? Should we, should we discuss budgets? Um, so these three things, I would say they're super, super important. Um, if I can add another framework yeah, <laughs> to let's the go conversation, um, I usually work, well, use a, it's some kind of framework, I guess, uh, which is um, a related to situation, complication, question and answer. So there's basically four letters there. It's uh, SCQA. Unfortunately, there's no, there's, there's not a nice word that could come out of this. So it's situation, <laughs> question, and answer. Um, and I always use that uh, when I try to structure any speech or presentation. So the situation is obvious. This is this is the overall situation market you are facing, which yep. also shows that you've done your research, you've done your homework, yep. you know about the industry. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the complication is super relevant because that also kind of creates sometimes sort of the, um, uh, well, not necessarily fear, but also m makes tension. the customer exactly the tension realizing, okay, well, I know I'm facing it. It's, it's almost kind of regurgitating that I know I'm facing these challenges and I'm, I'm seeing them right in front of me. Um, so this is something that is happening that changes the situation, of course, and makes it either better or worse. And then the question is, um, this change makes it either harder for you or it creates an opportunity for you. And in that question slide, if you like, or section, try to be as precise as possible. Like for example, I don't know if, if you are doing the presentation to a corporate partner, per perhaps try to quantify perhaps the loss uh, that they would be facing, for example, if not going for the solution A, or if you want to be more optimistic, try to quantify the win. Right. If you were to explore, let's say, this startup uh, partnership, or if you want to develop a proof of concept with this company, this could save you X amount in in um, in cost, or it could pro I don't know uh, provide you X million in revenue. So try to be as precise as possible, and then the answer here is obviously the best way for us to to make it happen. Um, and, uh, I think the last point is obviously how this content will be presented. And I think that's what mm. you're saying as well, uh, Boris, it's so important whether this is going to be sent and you're expecting someone to read it or you're presenting this. And it's not just about the visual cues, which are of course relevant. It's about small things. Like I always have a trick and I, I'm trying to show this to my team as well. Every heading in my slides are telling a story. So they have to summarize what they see on the slide. But if you actually read through just the headings of your presentation without having a look at anything in your slides, 
it has to stay a narrative. It has to flow nicely. It's almost like doing a voiceover. Um, so that's some, that's, that's something that I, I do. And it's not easy. I think it's way harder than just like, you know, just putting a bunch of things on the slide, but, um, it, it does make a difference. Yeah. I, because we're already 27 minutes in that, like everything that you said, I think everyone can go back and just re-listen again, because there are so many important things that you mentioned for the audience, for the types of decision for the person and the role. I, when you said, hey, is this person an influencer inside of the organization? Is he the decision maker or she's the decision maker? Or are they, let's say, a person who is going to be asked what they think about a specific technology, for example? Just that by itself changes the words and the things that you are going to present in such a dramatic way that it's scary to even think about it. But that last send, uh, that last tip that you just gave with the with the um, with the insight, uh, I would say them the titles and the titles to tell a story by themselves. And when you just read the titles from the deck across the whole presentation, they build this cohesive cohesive story. I have pushed so many organizations in that direction, and every single time when they see it, they are like, "Wow, that is such a simple fix because it's just a text box. You know, it's not." Like it's not related to visuals where many people are not designers and cannot come up with, you know, visuals, but that's such an easy fix to do. Of course, easier said than done, because once you try to kind of go through all of your slides and write the, write the titles in such a way that they build this cohesive, if you, I always like to say to my team, if I copy paste only the titles in a word, would that make sense? Like yeah. if, am I going to read a story or is it just agenda exactly. uh, speakers because we are currently building our decks for the conference agenda speakers sessions. Yeah. Is that the title? Because I don't get it. Right. Yeah. But if we kind of reword that, it makes such a, such a difference. Oh right. my God. All right. Uh, <laughs> almost 30 minutes in uh, Diana, where can people connect with you? What is the best way for them to find you reach out chat? What is the place? Uh, probably LinkedIn. Um, so, right. um, just typing Diana Florescu and I'm there. Um, obviously on mediaforgrowth.co, especially if you are a founder that is uh, looking to fundraise, um, and you are particularly interested in learning more about how to use advertising in your business. Um, and then on Twitter as well, I'm trying, I'm trying to build that Twitter profile. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> right. unfortunately I focus too much on LinkedIn these days, but Twitter too. Nice. Uh, we are going to make sure that we link absolutely everything in the show notes or in the YouTube description. So everyone, please make sure that I uh, reach out to Diana if you have any questions or if you're one of those startups and yeah, this is 30 minutes. I'm just scared how qu how quickly those 30 minutes passed by. Hopefully that is the same for everyone that's listening, watching this on YouTube or whatever they may be doing. Diana, thank you so much for joining. That was super, super nice. And I believe it was Pleasure. extremely practical. You know, you just have to think about it. And if yeah. you think about it, it's like, wait a minute, this is, I can apply this. You know, I can I do this in my own pitch so. or business proposal or whatever. That was, was nice. I'm already was hitting. The, I'm already hitting the desk. It was so, so, so practical. Thank you so much for joining, everyone. Hope uh, I'm sure. I'm not hoping. I'm sure that you enjoyed this conversation with Diana. 
If you enjoyed it, uh, reach out to her, uh, put your favorite moment in the chat. Or if you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, do that. Do whatever you want. After an episode like that, do whatever you want, all right? You have complete freedom. And if you, by the way, still don't know about the conference that I just mentioned, Diana, by the way, it's coming on April 28, 2023. Mm-hmm. So you're, we have to bring you here to Sofia. I don't know how that's going to happen, but we will make it, <laughs> we'll try to make it happen I'm in a way. No worries. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank We're you. sure that you enjoyed it and see you in the next one. Thanks, Diana. Thank you.